Hey, before we begin, I want to let you know about a new show from Curious Cast that I think you might be into. It's called Russia Rising. Putin's Russia has been accused of using internet trolls, hackers, and even assassins to influence the West. This new investigative podcast hopes to unravel the giant mystery that is Russia with the help of those who know her best. Russian trolls, hackers, Putin supporters, and even a former KGB spy. Join Global News Europe Bureau Chief Jeff Semple on a journey to find out how Russia has gone from tenuous ally to a potential global threat. Listen to Russia Rising for free at CuriousCast.ca or wherever you're enjoying This Is Why. What my background is, I know that the idea is not to stay silent. They want to get these, these ideologies out there. And unfortunately, we're seeing the, the very extreme side of that. In a polarized world, white supremacy is becoming a growing threat. And who better to explain the risks than a former white supremacist? I'm Nikki Reitmeyer, and this is Why. On Friday, March 15th, a terrorist walked into two mosques in Christchurch, New Zealand, one after the other, and opened fire on Muslim worshippers. There was nowhere to hide. It was the very definition of terrorism. One by one, Muslim worshippers were gunned down, targeted inside two mosques in Christchurch, New Zealand. He killed men, women, and children. Killed because of their faith. It was unbelievable. I saw in the main room on the right-hand side about 20-plus people. Some of them were dead, some of them were screaming, and they were asking me, is there any ambulance in the way? I said, you know, be patient. And I saw on the floor uh, the bullet shells, so many hundreds. He changed magazines seven times. And I start bang, bang, bang. All hell broke loose. It just sounded like a war zone. She helped perform CPR on a man gunned down in the street. Do you know what happened to the man you were trying to help? I don't have much hope, but I'd like to think that in his last dying moments, he knew that we were, people were trying to help him. How long do you think you'll think about him? Forever. Forever. And he had a motive detailed in a lengthy manifesto. The online manifesto that claims to be from the gunman says he's fighting against, quote, white genocide and had planned the attack for two years. In a rambling manifesto, a white Australian man who claimed responsibility for the attack calls himself a fascist who hopes to ensure the existence of our people and a future for white children. Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern says the hate that inspired this terrorist act has no place in her country or in the world. We are a nation of 200 ethnicities, 160 languages. We open our doors to others and say welcome. And the only thing that must change after the events of Friday is that this same door must close on all of those who espouse hate and fear. That horrible attack happened, geographically speaking, half a world away in New Zealand. But the threat of white supremacist terrorism 
isn't a faraway concern. We know firsthand right here in Canada what white supremacist ideology can do. Police arrive on the scene of Sunday's fatal shooting at a mosque in Canada. Six people have been killed and eight other people injured in a mass shooting in a mosque in Quebec City. Just before 8 p.m. during evening prayers, two gunmen entered the mosque and opened fired. Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau has called it a terrorist attack on Muslims. This is 2017. How could this happen? Remember at the time of that attack, we kept hearing the shooter described as a lone wolf. That phrase makes it seem like his actions were random, singular, independent. But as Abigail Beeman from Global News reports, white supremacists find camaraderie in communities across the country, both online and in person. She says there's close to 300 hate groups that exist in Canada, and most of them go completely undetected. Six people have been killed following a shooting at a mosque in Saint-Foy, which is right near Quebec City. Uh, eight other people have been wounded. We are waiting for A year later, misogyny and the incel or involuntary celibate movement came into focus with the Toronto van attack that left 10 dead. From 2016 to 2017, we saw a 47% increase in the number of police-reported hate crimes. Uh, now, if we had an increase like that in any other uh, you know, category of crime, we'd have been calling it a crisis. Hate exists day to day, say experts, flourishing online and not discussed enough. Whether it's Muslims, whether it's immigrant refugees, black people, Jewish people, I mean, there, it really runs the whole gamut of minority communities. The Proud Boys, Soldiers of Odin, Pegida, the Three percenters as examples. And after the Christchurch attack, people in the Yellow Vests Canada Facebook group posted comments like, they wonder why we retaliate. This month, Ottawa announced $367,000 in funding for far-right extremism. Barbara Perry of the University of Ontario Institute of Technology is spearheading the research. It does signal uh, an interest to enhance and deepen our understanding of the uh, not just the activities, but also the environment in which um, these hate groups emerge. I get lots of hate mail and death threats, which also make reference to um, various forms of hate. The same people who are writing about their opposition to gun control are often writing about their opposition to immigrants. I think that that's a, an issue that people have really shied away from. Perry says the best way to deal with hate is to outnumber and even outshout and keep the pressure on politicians to condemn the far right and violence in the strongest terms. Abigail Beeman, Global News, Ottawa. Who better to talk to about the rise of hate groups in Canada than a man who now actively works to prevent them? Hello. Hi, Brad. It's Nikki calling. How are you doing? Good, good. You, uh, you this is Brad Galloway. We connected over Skype after the Christchurch attack. Brad is a research and intervention specialist with the Organization for Prevention of Violence. The work he does now is a far cry from the life that he used to live as the former Canadian chapter leader for a white supremacist group called Volksfront. Thanks for taking the time to chat tonight. I really appreciate it. No worries. Now, I'd love to get your expert opinion on this. There's something in psychology that's known as availability heuristic. You might have heard of it. It's this tendency that people have to recall recent events 
and then magnify those events. And we do this, for example, with plane crashes. We hear of one plane crash and we say, I'm never flying again. It's the most dangerous form of travel. We do this with shark attacks. You know, you hear of of one shark attack and you think, I'm never swimming in the ocean again, especially somewhere tropical because I'm afraid of a shark attack, even though the odds of those events happening are so slim. But we hear of these big events and they're sort of burnt into our memory as being maybe more relevant than they should be. So I want to extend that to what's been happening with hate crimes around the world right now. My very first question for you, Brad, there have been several recent terrible, heinous attacks carried out by white supremacists. But is this just that availability heuristic coming into play that makes us think that this is a growing concern, that it's it's bigger than it actually is? Or, or on the other hand, is there truly more white supremacist groups popping up and growing in strength? Is this just a perception thing? Or in fact, are there more white supremacy groups out there that we need to be concerned about? Um, I think that, uh, you know, we do, we do need to be concerned about it because just as we're concerned with uh, other forms of extremism or, or terrorism, we, we need to be cognizant that these things are, are there. The white genocide uh, piece comes to mind for me right away where they look at uh, relative deprivation. They look like what, you know, which things are they supposed to be entitled to in their country? And they're losing entitlement by whichever the things may be, uh, the conspiracy theories or, or the multiculturalism, all these different things. Um, they believe that they're being deprived of their their rights because of uh, these other things that come into play. Um, I think those are big things. And I think, I think yes, we do need to be worried because it's especially uh, with that and the political climate that's going on in North America, which we're all uh, pretty well aware of, right? So it's an ever-changing environment and we, we need to be uh, be aware that this is out there, right? And are we seeing more of these types of groups popping up? Is this a growing concern? You know, I was back in, in France in December and I was there during the Yellow Vest riots, which, you know, I understood to be about the carbon tax and a few other social issues. I come back to Canada, suddenly we have a Yellow Vest movement here, but it's something totally different. I mean, this is a nationalist movement, a borderline hate group, if you see what they write on Facebook. So is this a growing concern? We're actually seeing new groups forming in Canada? I think we, we are. and But I also I'd like to say that often these things happen uh, where legit platforms are being used by these types of uh, extremist groups or organizations, extremist organizations that are like, well, you know, we sort of side with a little piece of their whatever it is they're, they're protesting against. So they're going to go hop on that platform and then, and then bring their full platform in. Uh, and and start trying to sell that there too. How do these organizations attract new members? I'd argue right now that we're looking at a changing environment when when we're dealing with the recruitment towards these types of groups. I mean, we're looking at online as a, as a growing factor in this area. This the online environment originally was used sort of as a place for these these folks to chat about opposing views or what have you, but. Um, once you get these groups that are involved or, or certain types of uh, individuals that are wanting to mobilize these people, they're trying to mobilize the people who are talking online to the offline environments and trying to get these people involved in protests and violence. 
So these organizations, generally speaking, they're not afraid to take the conversation offline, to meet in person, to meet their fellow members, and to become mobilized in person. Yeah, no, I I definitely would say, uh, considering uh, what my background is, I know that the idea is not to stay silent and stay in in some sort of, uh, you know, they want to get these ideologies out there. And unfortunately, we're seeing the the very extreme side of that right at this moment with what's been going on in, in New Zealand and, and uh, the Quebec City, all these different things that have been happening recently. You know, that that is the idea, though, mobilizing the, these arguable troops from the online environment to the, the offline environment. Coming up later in this episode, Brad explains why he joined a white supremacist group. It's a friend from my neighborhood who just sort of sold me on a lot of the different conspiracy theories. Multiculturalism was ruining Canadian society. Like, look at all the immigrants. You're listening to This Is Why, a national radio show and podcast from Global News. Download and subscribe online now. In the days that followed the Christchurch attack, New Zealand's Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern said social media has become a tool to spread hate. There is no question that ideas and language of division and hate have existed for decades, but their form of distribution, the tools of organisation, they are new. We cannot simply sit back and accept that these platforms just exist and that what is said on them is not the responsibility of a place where they are published. They are the publisher, not just the postman. There cannot be a case of all profit, no responsibility. But back in the day when Brad Galloway joined a hate group called Volksfront, there was no social media. Recruitment was done the old-fashioned way through his neighborhood, through friends? Well, originally there was no, I didn't know anything about any any kind of group, right? It's a friend from my neighborhood who just sort of sold me on a lot of the different conspiracy theories. Multiculturalism was ruining Canadian society. Like, look at all the immigrants. I mean, I grew up in Toronto, so we, we understand that Toronto is one of the most multicultural cities in North America, right? That white genocide that you were talking about. <laughs> that's right, yeah. So that's what he was... No, he, they weren't calling it that then. They were calling it, uh, it was more the anti-Semitism message and, and homophobic messages. This was before 2001. So I, I, often, I often talk about the pre or post-2001 for movements because that's where, where I understand the far-right movements. So it was mostly the offline environment before uh, the things happened with the World Trade Center. And then they were able to create this like you were you like you were sort of alluding to is that you know when these things happen it becomes this like blown way out of proportion you know and that's what they they were doing with uh, the the tra- world trade center saying that you know all muslims are terrorists so that's creating a platform for them to recruit others right you know we were aware that there's no religion specifically behind terrorism but um people can falsify religion and and turn it into whatever they want right this guy was able to sell that to me because I had no other ideas, right? Like I had no other real concept of what these cultures were doing in Canada. Like uh, he, he was able to sell me on subculture, violence, music, all these different things like that, which are all available now, even more so with the with online as that became became a more and more prevalent for the for these types of uh, organizations and groups to to be using that platform. But I mean. 
people are after a sense of identity. We're all after some sort of sense of identity in life, right? And and I just think that for me, it was nothing, nothing more than I was looking for uh, something to belong to or so, someone to be in life because I didn't really have a pathway, right? And this guy sort of uh, was able to manipulate those. You know, he saw that I was sort of a blank slate, and there I was. And that's often the opportunistic uh, recruitment that goes on. This might sound kind of stupid or ignorant, but I'm just imagining you going to one of those first meetups. And for me, I think that I I would be kind of afraid of the violence that they were offering, these really tough guys that aren't afraid to hurt people. Were you scared walking into those meetings thinking that you could get hurt by them? Or did you feel included right away? Did it feel safe in a strange way? You know, I thought at first, you know, gee, this is, I'm not so sure how this, um, you know, how this is going to pan out. Um, but, uh, you know, of course there was that idea of being a little bit afraid of something new, but I think I was more, uh, feeling like, oh, they were offering me brotherhood. They didn't dance right into the, you know, look at this ex- really extreme stuff right away. It was, it was like, it was a bit of a slow go towards that. Right. There's almost so, a grooming process. Right. Right. So, uh, that's an important thing to note here, right? Is that there, there is a process of how these guys are going to try to get folks involved in, in this. Like it's not just going to be, you know, uh, every time there's a certain way that become, people become radicalized. I think that's really is a nonlinear process and it, and it really doesn't happen in any certain way, but it's, it's really where that person is seen to get their buy-in. So where, wherever these guys are that are trying to recruit people is, oh, okay, well they, they see where the person has bought in and then they can sort of build from there. Right. Because there are, I mean, there are tons of people that sort of come across this stuff, but never, never become radicalized or never become involved in these groups, right? I think when they sense there's a buy-in, they, that's when they can, they can really uh, hit home with some of the, the bigger messages and the, and the broader spectrum stuff and, and get people really involved, right? And then I'm sure they ask more and more and more of you as you get deeper and deeper in with these groups. So... What is it that an organization like the one you were involved with or these other hate groups ask of their members? Well, it depends on, I mean, which organizations you're dealing with. The sort of white supremacist skinhead organizations, they're going to be more uh, focused on um, the brotherhood factors, the gang, like it's more like a, um, you know, your typical street gang kind of uh, mentality. Right. Right. I mean, you can get into some of these other types of groups where it's, yes, the brotherhood is still there, but it's more centralized on a a certain political issue that they're focusing on, whether it's, uh, you know, anti-Islam or anti-government or something something of that nature, right? We really have to understand that there are different uh, areas here, but I think uh, where they all get tied together is at the very end, what's expected. So change, violence, all different things, right? But violence is a central message. What was the final straw for you? When did you decide, I want to get out of this? Um, well, what was uh, very important for me was the, the understanding of how could you pass down generation to you know, your own children, these types of ideologies, right? And then further, I started seeing holes in the ideology as well. I started seeing that guys weren't following the, this so-called code that they had made up, right? So it's, um, that to me was, was, it was more of a, it's the protective factors that we all have in, inherently in us, right? And I just think that if we're going to teach our children, um, you know, uh, positivity and, and all these different things, we can't be we can't be going around espousing this negativity, which which is super exhausting. All these ideologies trying to trying to hate people for realistically no no apparent reason, 
becomes super exhausting at the end of the day, right? So we, and that's that's like the message I like to see now is go look around and see, especially in Canada, start thinking about how the different communities affect each other and how, you know, I, I just started looking at it going, well, <laughs> these, I've never been treated poorly by any of these communities that I'm saying I hate so much. So why do I care? Right. Let's start trying to learn about them. So I started to educate myself. I, you know, I went back, started uh, taking a degree uh, at, at school and, and those, those types of things were very helpful in, in trying to um, get away from uh, all that negativity that was associated with, uh, with those movements. Now, I know that you're just one guy, but you were able to move away from that lifestyle. Where does the rest of society go from here? I mean, when we look at what's happening politically, when we look at the levels of mass immigration that are happening internationally, do you see more of these types of hate crimes and white supremacist groups growing? Um, you know, I'd like to say that we probably won't see more of this. But, you know, I, I think one of the main messages in extremism, no matter which type we're talking about, is that putting hate and fear and division into societies, right? So if we can, if we all on the other side of all that, which is the majority of us in the world, if we all can look at ways how we can educate and be, you know, advocates for, for togetherness and humanity, all these types of things that are necessary for us to, to move forward, I think we've got a better chance. With the things that have happened recently and for certain groups that have been, been targeted, I think we need to, like I was just saying, we need to look around and, and see what we can do to, to help build strength in those communities and, and help them feel like they're not going to be victimized more so, right? So many people are affected by these types of events, right? So, I mean, it could be people from all over all over, and all different uh, diverse backgrounds. Like we, we've all gone through certain things and we want to make sure that we're there to, uh, to help each other, especially in Canada where, you know, our societies are, are so diverse and we want to be looking to help each other, right? Yeah, it's funny though. I feel like in Canada, we're in this really fragile state now though like we used to have this persona of being so friendly and so kind and so welcoming and now it seems like we're we're changing you know what i mean there seems to be this darker front rising maybe i just spend too much time on social media but it seems like there's this negativity brewing amongst canadians that i i never would have characterized us as having before well i was reading something anyways i I forget the exact article but it was it was about how yeah, we are spending too much time in front of TVs and and social media and all this, and maybe we all just need to go out and get some fresh air, figuratively, right? I mean, it's uh, you can find yourself in these in these zones of of like you know, rabbit holes of the internet and all these types of things that can that can be very uh, uh, challenging and and super negative to be taking in all this type of content all the time. So you got to make sure you, we've all got to make sure we take time away from from our computers and social media and get out there and experience the actual world, right? Social media is guilty of giving these hate groups a voice. But after the Christchurch attack, it also became a tool to spread hope. Videos of Maori men performing the haka went viral. The haka, it's a ceremonial dance performed when groups would come together in war, but also in peace. Now, 
And social media undeniably gave a platform to the killer himself. He live-streamed his attack. But it also gives us the choice to publicly denounce his crimes. And as Prime Minister Ardern said, we can choose to use our platform to write him out of history. He sought many things from his act of terror, but one was notoriety. And that is why you will never hear me mention his name. He is a terrorist. He is a criminal. He is an extremist. But he will, when I speak, be nameless. And to others, I implore you, speak the names of those who were lost rather than the name of the man who took them. He may have sought notoriety, but we in New Zealand will give him nothing, not even his name. This Is Why is produced by John O'Dowd and me, Nikki Reitmeyer. It's a national radio show that broadcasts across Canada and a podcast that is international. You can download and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Give us a rating and a review while you're there. We're on Twitter at This Is Why, and you can always send us an email, thisiswhy at curiouscast.ca. Thanks for listening, and I'll talk to you next week.